0: Okay, so I'm going to. You can see the lovely uh, outline up on the board. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read the summary. Um, This is a summary stolen from J.R.W. Stott, written in 1988 um, for this section. Christian believers are God's children, born from above. God's children are loved by all who love God. Those who love God also keep his commands. They keep his commands because they overcame the world, and they overcame the world because they are Christian believers born from above. So you'll see a little bit of circularness. Shocking. Okay, so tonight we're arriving at the final chapter in 1 John. What an incredible journey it's been, right? It's been quite a little while. I know that I've been deeply enriched by our time in this book and continue to be as we near the finale of it. We have learned so much about what it means to be a true Christian, Um, and if I may be so bold as to try to summarize it in a few words, this whole book teaches that right believing, right belief, leads to right living. That's what being a Christian looks like. You hold the true intellectual propositions as revealed to you by the Holy Spirit, and then those truths move you to be a different person. As we arrive in this final section of the book, I'll be taking it a slight bit quicker, um, at least this, this portion of the book, um, because much of what is in this section that we're going to address tonight is review. Um, that's, not, that's not to say it's not important. Um, what it does mean is that I don't want to insult your intelligence by thinking that you don't understand. I've taught you a lot of the individual elements of what is found in this passage in the past. Um, so now this passage is going to be more beautiful, more deep, more profound, now that you have the tools to understand what it actually means Um, but I'm I'm going to spend more emphasis on the new aspects you know we've talked plenty about how this is digging deeper I'm going to focus on the new level of the screw that John is driving and not rehash all the same things um, just so that we're staying a little bit more focused on new content not to say the other phrases and words aren't important I just think that you guys are now equipped to go consider that on your own so let's start into chapter five Um, If you're in the habit of marking your Bible, which I am not, um, I would encourage you to draw a tiny little X over um, the number 5 in your Bible. Um, And the reason I I say this is because I don't want you to get the impression that it's separated from chapter 4. You see great continuity between these two chapters, and obviously it wasn't there in the original manuscripts. Random trivia time, the... um, the epistles in the New Testament was written without spaces and in all caps in the original manuscripts. So if you can imagine how hard it was to read um, for the original recipients. So well-intentioned scribes or uh, other individuals along the way have broken this into verses and chapters, and I actually think this is the right break, and the right spot to break it. I'm just saying it's a lot of continuity, and so I'd encourage you um, to view this um, as one one continuous flow. It's Viewing it in isolation as discrete um, will be an injustice to this text. So, once again, shocking. It's not like John really changes topics. He kind of does, kind of doesn't. More like slides into a new idea. So he's... It's not like Paul where you get that chapter and you're like, yeah, okay, we're done. On the sanctification. <laughs> this is a new topic, kind of, on the slide. So um, what I wanted to start with... Um, if you are, I didn't know what these were. Any of you, you bio majors, as <laughs> you bio, any of any of you know what homologies are in anatomy? No, okay. Similar structures found throughout the body, as in this part of, you know, different mirrored portions throughout segments of the body. And so, what I'm going to ask you to do is look through these first five verses. Take a moment to look through them, and I want you to find out, um, find things in chapter five, one through five, that you find to mirror things in chapter four or even before just things that strike you as familiar um, kind of like resonating it's kind of like hmm, a little different a lot similar and um, just kind of cross-reference be the cross-reference that's in the margin of your bible i've highlighted a couple when you guys are finished but i want to hear what you have to say first These homologies, I think, you've heard me put an emphasis on them almost every single week, but it kind of gives us an idea what themes John is trying to drive home. If you notice, wow, he really talks about XYZ thing here, he sneaks it in again here, sneaks it in again there, starting to pick up the broader theme of the book and what he's really trying to drive home, saying it different ways. You know, you in a conversation may say... The same thing, 17 different ways, hoping that the person actually understands what you're saying. Same thing, in my estimation, here. What similarities did you find between chapter 5, 1 through 5, and other portions of chapter 4, particularly about the book? Um,
1: 5, 4 and 4, 4 are both talking
0: about those that are of God or one of God have overcome the world. Yep, absolutely. Being an overcomer. Um, Overcomer of the World, Overcomer of the Young Men, back in chapter 2, described as overcoming the evil one. Um, I believe 24 of the 28 New Testament uses of um, Overcomer are by John. It's one of his themes that we are overcomers of false teachers, world, Satan, etc. Yes, great pickup. Other things? Both
1: the concepts of being born of God and loving
0: God. Yes, absolutely.
1: Um, That... Just the first phrase, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, um, just kind of parallels to like the earlier part of chapter four that says that like that is, you know, true belief is believing that Jesus is
0: God. Sure, absolutely. So we have belief in the person of Christ and who he is and his uh, nature. Absolutely. That's definitely a portion of this. Other um, homologies, (laughs) homologous structures of the passage.
1: Oh wait, oh I'm sorry. Talking about the body or is
0: it like something that you can use in everyday language too? Um, you you can say hum, um it's a homologous yeah you, you can you can say it but it just similar, same thing as saying a similar
2: thing. Yeah. <laughs> um
0: yes, it can apply to other things outside of the body to answer your question. Um other observations out of here.
3: If we love
1: God, we
0: keep his commandments. Yes, loving God by obeying his commandments, absolutely. I, point, I have one more thing, um, but I'm happy to say it. I'm just curious. Um, anything, I don't want to cut anyone off. Okay, one other thing I picked up is that having to love others if you want to say that you love God. Back in late chapter 4, we see that you know, if you're going to say, you love God, great job, woo-hoo, go love somebody. That's, the, that's paralleled once again. In this part of the book. So we're going to start very, very simple. Once again, um, obedience to God's commands is love for those born of God. Um, we're going to start simple and then add a new element in here. Um, 1 John 5 1, please. Everyone who
2: believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him.
0: Um, If you believe that Jesus is God, that he is the Christ, then you have been born of God. If we think back to Nicodemus and some of the other topics that we have discussed, what does it mean to be born of God or to be given new life? What is that phrase insinuating about our spiritual condition? And I think Nicodemus provides a wonderful example of this. I'll speed you up. If you get life, that means you were what before? Absolutely. So the idea here is that we were spiritually dead in trespasses and sin, but God chose to birth us into new life where we are capable of having an intimate relationship with him. This is what we talked about with Nicodemus when we talked about being born from above in that um, translation of that passage. So we've already said this a thousand times. Men naturally hate God, but when God gives us new life and a new heart, we are suddenly filled with a love for him. That is a fundamental defining point um, for Christians, that we love God. In Romans 8, lovers of God is used as a replacement or a synonym for saying Christians, Romans 8.28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and been called to to his purpose. Absolutely, for those who love him. That is, that is for saying Christians. He works things for Christians. Um, back to chapter 4. Uh, If we say we love God, because that's supposedly who we are, then what? First John four twenty. If a man
1: saith, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For if he loveth not his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God, whom he has not?
0: If we are, you know, Christians defined by loving God, but we don't love our brothers, then we have a contradiction in what we're saying. Um, And so the very fundamental things that if you believe in God. Christ here, um, then um, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. The children of God are going to love the other children of God. Now, new element here. John's driving this um, screw in a little bit deeper, and I, I am indebted to a commentary for this insight. But allow me to point out something that's very—I uh, I found this incredibly insightful. I didn't—I did not notice it on the first time through. Um, if I were to paraphrase verse one. Allow me to do this. Um, by this we know that we love the Father when we love who has whoever has been born of Him. Okay. Oh, just allow me that paraphrase. By this we know that we love the Father when we love whoever born whoever has been born of Him. Now here the reflexive statement said in verse two. By
2: this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His
0: commandments. So you you hear the reflection off of that? By this we know that we love the Father when we love whoever has been born of him. Then verse 2 says, by this we know that we love the children of God when uh, when we love God and obey his commandments. This is what's incredible. Just as it is impossible to love God without loving others, it is impossible to truly love others without loving God. Does that make sense? I'll say it one more time. Just as it is impossible to love God without loving others, it is impossible to love others without loving God. You, do you see the, the mirror of those? Is that, is that confusing to anyone before, before we go on? Okay. Let, let me ask you this question. Have you ever been confused by how a society so focused on love, quote unquote, can habitually do things which are not loving? Has that ever struck you as rather odd? Okay, this explains precisely why society has no ability to understand love. Sure, they may throw that word around, but they have no capacity to understand it. In a very real sense, love is defined as something which is mutually enjoyed by both parties, according to society. This is nowhere more evident, in my estimation, than in the sexual revolution. Love is defined as something mutually enjoyed by both parties. But that is not the Christian view of love whatsoever at all. Love is viewed, as we've discussed numerous times, as a sacrificial service to others. That's the Christian framework. Love is, in this context viewed as refraining from sex until marriage love is confronting sin in people's lives love is listening to someone who greatly annoys you but you love them enough to genuinely care about them and hear their heart out Um, love is not about you in the christian worldview and that is something distinctly different from the secular worldview here's the fundamental truth then if you are violating god's commands in interacting with others you are not truly loving them does that make sense by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. If in our interactions with others, whether they like it or not, if we are violating God's commands, that isn't truly loving them. Does that make sense? So uh, one example I I thought of is that um, I, I'm sure every single one of us in this room has felt kind of the in your chest, it wells up when you kind of want to share some juicy gossip of some sort and you're like, ooh, really? I just really want to share that for some reason. And truth be told, you know that the other person would enjoy hearing that and you'd love to have that discussion, right? I mean, like that that impulse sounds very pleasurable to both parties, but it is not loving to that person that you're talking to if you're going to violate God's commands in doing that. So, on one hand, loving God, you must love others. But in order to love others, you must love God. And so we see a classic Joanine circle of logic that, you know, you must you have this interplay and reflection between the two. True love for that person will refrain will refrain from violating the commands of God. Now, if you'll indulge me here for a moment, I'm gonna let a little bit of my um, hold a fundamental independent Baptist um, out (laughs) Um, and just have a quick little rabbit trail here. Can we quit trying to find true love and instead start trying to be true love to people? How about that? This this is a good time for an amen, okay? (laughs) I am absolutely serious, though. This is... I I really do feel that this falls well within the purview of this text. If you're habitually selfish, if you're habitually angry, if you're habitually gossipy, you fill in the blank of whatever sin, no... I mean, another one that I've heard more of recently is if you're a habitual game player and you play with people's emotions, no new relationship, no marriage... Nothing, no friendship, not even marriage, is going to solve that. If you are seeking to find out there somewhere true love, and yet you carry all these sinful tendencies which violate the commands of God and you're not loving other people through that, then you're going to need to start being true love before you're ever going to quote unquote find true love. And and I just I really thought about that because we are constantly seeking to have that new relationship and the excitement of a new thing. But it's not going to solve anything. You can't run from yourself. You know, if you are a bad person, you're going to take those bad habits into new relationships. You won't be able to run away from yourself. Second point, obedience to God's commands is love for God. That's nothing new. You, If you've been around here for any amount of time at all, you know, y'all, y'all would think I have dementia if it weren't for John doing this. Uh, Sleepy <laughs> Joe. Anyways, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. I I think this is so straightforward that there's hardly anything to explain here. Um, we all know that the verse that says, if you love me, keep my commandments. But I want you to turn to that passage for a moment, um, because I want you to see the depth that Jesus, that's the start, okay? That's a great start to a conversation, but Jesus has a lot more that he packs onto that. Now, I want you to head over to John chapter 14. Again, very interesting. Things that you see in the gospel of John are paralleled in Revelation and the epistles of John, I think, because he, he in and he took in so deeply what Christ had to say that it really influenced how he wrote and talked to other people. John chapter 14. Now, um, before we dive into this, I, I want to my point in talking to you about this passage is that I want you to tie together loose ends of 1 John in your mind. I want you to no- notice those homologous um, characteristics between different passages of Scripture. I'm going to point out some, and then we'll go through the passage. After his comments about obedience, Jesus then talks about the spirit being given to us and mutual indwelling between us and God. Does that sound familiar? Of course it does. 1 John chapter 4 talks about the spirit and mutual abiding. You then hear Jesus talk about how this is for Christians because we are not like the world. Um, Here in a moment, chapter 5, we'll talk about how Christians are distinct from the world and have overcome the world. Um, And then finally, I want you to notice a connection between keeping Jesus' words, loving God, and the Father loving us because Jesus is speaking the Father's words. Notice these themes and how they're paralleled in 1 John. I'm going to go ahead and have John 14, 15 through 24 read. Um, um, We could continue on into chapter 15, which is all about abiding, but I'm just going to stop right there and show you some of these parallels. John chapter 14, 15 through 24.
3: If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him.
0: Pause right there. So we've already seen the mutual indwelling aspects that we've talked about in 1 John. And we've talked about the difference between Christians and the world. Already already distinctly there in Jesus' teaching.
3: You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me will not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me.
0: There's so much. You could go into every single word of that. I mean, really. like, just You hear Jesus trying to explain a very deep spiritual reality. To disciples who are really just trying to get their mind and their head in the right space. Also, poor Judas. I, for the rest of his life, he had to go around saying, not Iscariot. <laughs>
3: um,
0: but really, I mean, you, you see so many neat parallels between John then explaining this in epistle form later. You know, this is the raw sort of things that are happening. In a sense, John's a little bit more of a uh, theological exposition of what Jesus did. But this is um, I, my point in doing this is I want to show you that these are not isolated, discrete theological facts that happen in a vacuum when we're in an epistle. If there's one thing that John captures well, it's the interconnectedness of all these doctrines. I, I wrote this out, we love God because we are born again and we are born again because we believed in Christ, but we only believed in Christ because God loved us first. And we in return love God. And because we love God, we keep his commandments, but we cannot keep his commandments without the spirit, and we only have the spirit because we've been born again. You see, you see how everything's like tied into one? Our loving relationship with God is born out of this complex network of things which should not be viewed in isolation, but rather in conjunction with one another. So I get it, I get it. We love to compartmentalize things. Um, it makes it easier for us to understand. But I want you to not view these um, theological topics, for lack of a better word, as sanctification, justification. You know, there is some differentiation to be made and if not, you'll end up in the Catholic camp, I understand. But, um, But my point is that all these things, all these doctrines that we study flow into one mosaic, each a little tile and a beautiful picture of what the Christian life should be. It's all just beautiful bits in this radiant diadem um, of the Christian life. All right, on to number three. Obedience to God's commands is lovely. This is absolutely the new aspect of this passage. This, to me, is the pinnacle of this passage for our purposes tonight. Um don't get me wrong, there's other tests of the faith in here, but the new aspect to me, test number 12, and I made this term up, metagape, do you love loving because you have overcome? Do you love loving? How many of you know what like metacognition is or metaphysics? That that term meta means beyond or um Beyond or change, but for our sakes, beyond is something like metacognition is where you think about your thoughts. Okay, so you're like, hmm, I'm angry. That is metacognition. And what I'm saying here is that Christians are lovers of loving, they love to love people, which sounds very obvious. But this is really where I want to park tonight, and this is what I believe to be the unique test of faith out of this chapter. Let me read this um, next verse, or this next part of this verse. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And his commandments are not burdensome. What floods your mind when I read that statement? And his commands are not burdensome. What comes to mind?
1: I think about trying to live a life of purity when the people around me, especially like like Christian friends around me, don't use do the same thing.
0: Totally, feels pretty burdensome, right? Yeah.
2: I think of that verse where Jesus says, "From my my burden is
0: like We're getting there, absolutely. Yeah, other other thoughts, though. Yeah, I mean, even from your own personal experience, whatever your observations may be.
1: It's not that hard to love. <laughs> like,
0: Said like a true Christian. <laughs> I mean, like, really.
1: It's really not that hard. It's really not that hard to be nice. It's not that hard to not be mean. I mean, like, I say that in a way that, like, I suppose.
0: It's only natural for you to love, but it's impossible for others to genuinely love, which is so crazy. And you're like, it, it just, it just. Like I don't try. Right. This is just what I'm natural. This is. Yeah. What a great sign, right? I mean that, that, that is to me one of the. I think this could be the highest test of faith, in the entire book of First John. And the reason I say this is because, um, I think that, um, I think that this test right here eliminates more false, fake Christians than any other test that I can think of. Um there's a lot of really good actors. <laughs> um, and to be honest, I know you guys pretty well. But I know you guys are better actors than I am perceiver. You if you really are. I mean you got like you you all are probably pretty skilled at fooling people. Not as an indictment against you, but I think most people can put on a pretty good show, okay? Most people put on a good show externally. Um, But the reason I say this is that it may appear that many people love God. Why? Because they do external things. They go to church. They serve at the food bank. They are on the praise and adoration team. They do a lot of stuff. They might even have a quiet time and pray all the time. But if you hear nothing else from tonight, hear this. Christians are not merely defined by external love but rather are defined internally by their love of loving other people. Yes?
1: Something else I want to say is sometimes it comes naturally and it makes sense. But oftentimes, if I'm in a difficult situation sure. with somebody, and it, from external perspectives, people may look at me and be like, how do you not hate that person? Like, how do we continue to love that? And I, I think part of it, well, I mean, love is definitely a fruit of the Spirit. Like, yes, it, yes, sometimes it comes naturally to me, but sometimes it comes so natural that it's literally not me. Like, mm-hmm. so I think you need to be careful when you talk about, yes, it comes naturally. Because, yeah, sometimes it's easy to love, but sometimes it's hard to love, and yet, for some reason, you just find yourself loving because it really is the fruit of the Spirit. So I think we need to be careful not to be like, oh my gosh, I'm such a loving person because sometimes it, it makes sense, but sometimes it doesn't make sense.
0: You know what? You, tax you, collectors
3: like other tax collectors.
0: That's exactly right. Turn over, I didn't include this, but this is a really great um, illustration of this. Turn over to Second Peter um, chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our um, Lord Jesus Christ, according to the great mercy he has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power... um, This is totally the wrong passage because I'm not in 2 Peter. But great passage. Yes, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Pause. So everything that we are, all the goodness that we have, Our natural inclination towards righteousness is because of God, his rebirth of us, and his precious promises. And yet, hear these next few words. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Love being the pinnacle virtue there. Is it all God? Yes. And yet, for this very reason, you be diligent to add. How's that possible? Doctrine of concurrence we talked about it a few weeks back. Is it all God? Yes. Is it all you? Kind of. You got to be the one doing it. Yet it's all God working through you. I yet not I, but Christ in me. Comes naturally but also we have to do it. Very interesting observation. Back over to first one. Sorry. Um, Christians fundamentally enjoy obeying God. Christians desire God. Christians love to please God, and thus they love to obey his commands. Allow me to highlight this. How many many people do you know, and I, I will say this, particularly within your own home, who do a lot for others, who do a lot of stuff for God, but they're burnt out by it and are burdened down by obedience. And I say in your home because you probably get a more honest look at people when they live in your own home. And you see, wow, I mean, they, yeah, they, they got it going on kind of, but not really. Because when we get home, they're like – they may not even be a hypocrite. They may not be a terrible person. My point being is they're just like, uh, I don't want to go to church. You know, th- that sort of attitude is – The commands are burdensome. Now, I understand the battle for holiness is hard, demoralizing, and I want to point this out. The struggle itself can be burdensome, but the commands of God in of themselves should be our delight. Does that make sense? I want to point out that differentiation. We struggle. That's tough. It's rough. You can feel pretty beat down and scummy for struggling. But at the end of the day, there's something inside you that is, if you're a true Christian, is Failed, but wow, I really, really love God and I love His commands because I want to please God. I want to love God. And you have that desire even amidst all the chaos in your life. And so if you find yourself here tonight saying, I struggle to love what God commands, I keep trying to build up this wall of good deeds, I don't really even care about what God wants or doesn't want. I just don't truly internally care about the same things that God does. If that's you, I encourage you to take a look at your heart. And here's, you know, I said this, I'll never know your heart for sure. I may see many clues as to where your heart is, where your heart is, it's where your treasure will be also. But, you know, we, you may obey God because you still live at home, because it's more convenient. Whatever the reason may be, I know people can act and act well. So, if you don't love the commands of God, um, you're not deeply moved by them, not excited by the things that you read, first off, I want to say, please come talk to me. I'd love to have a conversation with you and you know, try to work through this. But secondly, um, I'll tell you what my advice is going to be. And it, it really is to make the gospel fresh again to you. Um, and you're like, I already know the gospel. Okay, well, my advice to you is going to be to go and study. Study who you are naturally naturally as man, fallen man, and how sinful you are, how holy God is, and become overwhelmed with the truth about those things and read scripture until your heart burns because you're like overwhelmed with the majesty of God condescending to save you. When you get to that point of intellectual wow, that, sh- that naturally should flow right into a heart of praise And desire to serve God because you know what he has done for you. Let's read a couple verses um, that illustrate this point regarding um, our natural love for him and for his commands. Interestingly, the chapter that has so much to say about the word of God also has some of the most things to say about the desire for God's commands. Psalm 119, 14, 16, 24, 97, 103.
1: I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will delight myself in thy statues. I will not forget thy word. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my
0: path. The Pharisees did this, Matthew 23:4, And hear the contrast between what the Pharisees did and what Christ did.
1: They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them.
0: Pharisees, contrast, Christ, Matthew 11,
1: 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls.
0: For my yoke is easy and my garden is light. Psalm
1: 63, 1 through 2. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory.
0: That's kind of one of those passages where it's like, if you know, you know. And I don't experience that all the time, but when you do... You know, it's like, if you know what that means, you know what that means. It's Deuteronomy 6.5. Which, by the way, that should be something that is a typical of a Christian. That should be something, when I say, if you know, you know, that should be something that we all as Christians have enjoyed that fellowship with Christ. Deuteronomy 6.5. From the very beginning, this is what it's been about. Deuteronomy 6:5. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thine soul, and with all thine mind. Started from Sinai, and now we're here. Um, I'll highlight this. Um, I'll highlight even the words "obey" in verse uh, in verse two, where it says "love God and obey," versus the word "keep" in verse three. Those are two different Greek words. Um, with the latter indicating more of the heart level obedience. The, the latter is more of a something precious to you that you're keeping at the heart level. Um, that's a different word from verse 2. Um, final point for this evening: <clears throat> obedience to God's commands is possible through faith, belief, and rebirth. Verse 4 for whoever has it. For
3: everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has
0: If you are not a real Christian, the commands of God are indeed going to be burdensome. You don't have a true heartfelt love for God, so any attempt to impose morality on top of that will quickly fail. Christians are defined as those who have become obedient from the heart. End quote. Become obedient from the heart. I think that's an incredible way to define Christians, by the way. Not just that you've become obedient, but that you've become obedient from the heart. And that phrase is found in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, wonderful passage, and it's worth just a little quick peek. Romans 6:15 through 23.
2: What then? Shall we <laughs> <Sorry. sin>? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I thought of Hayden the way you said that. What ho, Like <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, energy. Go. What then?
2: we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity, to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you when deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? From the outcome of those things is death. For the outcome of those things is death but now having been free from sin and slave to God you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome of eternal life for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord
0: this is one of the biggest misnomers in Christianity there is and you can correct me if you see it in there There is no such thing as a free will. Either you are a slave to righteousness, with your heart set ablaze to love obedience and that form of teaching to which you have been committed. Notice that, by the way. The heart of obedience flows from a teaching to which you've been committed. Should be. That's the way it should be. But either you love righteousness or you love sin and lawlessness. There is not a neutral state where you're not influenced and truly free. So back in 1 John, we hear that Christians have overcome the world. What does that mean? 1 John chapter 2, I'm going to steal it from whoever has it. 2, 14 through 17. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the things of the world or As Christians, we have overcome the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. But secondly, it means that we've been given an entirely new set of desires. Either we are enslaved to the desires and lusts of the world, or we love God and desire his commands. There's no middle state. Now, of course, we may struggle with falling back into sin and old habits once in a while, but true Christians... Desire. Notice these. Obviously, it will reflect in our actions, but notice the heartfelt tone of both Romans and this. The desires of the world. If you desire the world, if you desire the things of the world, there's such a heart emphasis in both of these places. If your desires and your heart and actions reveal your desires to be for the world, clearly your will is still enslaved to sin and the world system. Um, but on the other hand, if not as a Christian, you become the doulos, every New Testament letter opening ever, that says X, a loss of Jesus Christ. You become a slave of Jesus Christ and love God and love his ways. Now, by the way, that word, that word, um, <laughs> I keep using that word. <laughs> don't think you think that word. Anyways, okay, um, overcomes. Overcomes, does that sound familiar? We've seen that a couple times in First John. But if you have um, a really good long-term memory, we've seen that somewhere before. Where have we seen that word overcome before? How about, um, let me ask you this question. What was the Greek root for Nicodemus's name. I even wore a shirt to help you remember. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Nike, absolutely. Nikeo, Nike. N- Nicodemus's name meant Nike overcomer. And this is the same word, Nike, right here. It's a different form of it in the Greek, but the same root word is Nike. Nike. Um, In in my understanding, there was a goddess of victory um, named Nike who aided Zeus in his battle against the Titans. Um, In Greek culture, only the gods were capable of true and ultimate victories. Mortals were not capable of victory like the gods were. But here, and this is what's so astounding about Christians being called conquerors on this Greek background, is because we are attributed something that was attributed to the gods. We have become partakers of the divine nature. How convenient. But we have we have had this quality of truly being an ultimate victor, okay? And that is how we are defined. Um, Paul, Romans 8, famous passage, right? I said, go chew on a tree if you don't like it last time. That passage, we're called conquerors. But what does he say? We are more than conquerors. To Paul to say that we were nikao was not enough he called us hooper nikao that we are super conquerors I need that on a shirt <laughs> <laughs> so for paul we were it wasn't enough to say that we conquered but that we're super and abounding and super actually conquerors in christ and that is our status um, in him um just Conquerors wasn't enough, apparently. So, how did we become conquerors? Okay, I say conquerors, weird, I guess. Um, Conquerors. How do we become conquerors? Well, couldn't end this in a more John style Uh, faith and belief in Christ, verses 4 through 5. very similar to how he started this chapter. Everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ has been born of God. We finish in that same place. Being an overcomer is um, by our faith. Overcomers are defined by their faith, by their belief in Christ. Um, now, I we went over this um, quite a bit in the beginning of chapter four, so I won't belabor it. Um, but For your time and study, if you want to read the first few chapters of Revelation, John packs in a zillion references to overcomers. Um, Almost every ending of an epistle to a church is said, if you overcome, then I will give you da-da-da by by Christ. And so um, this is what he's saying to his Christians, that those of you who overcome, who overcomes? Those who have faith and belief in Christ, then he will give the crown of righteousness or the hidden manna whatever that means in in uh, Revelation um, so I'll refrain but I will include um, what I think to be the pinnacle of the overcomer verses in the New Testament John chapter 16 verse 33 also again John how convenient John
2: 16:33. Right. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world you will have trouble but take
3: heart I have overcome the world
0: Christ has overcome the world. We're walking in his footsteps. If you have seen some of Kanye West's recent music videos about him stepping in snow and have his little kids fall behind him, that's exactly what we do with Christ, seriously. is He's tread the path for us in snow, and we step in his steps in overcoming the world. So I'm going to finish with a summary from uh, J.R.W. Stott, uh, Letters of John and Introductory Commentary, Volume 19. Um, that we began with. Christian believers are God's children born from above. God's children are loved by all who love God. Those who love God also keep his commandments. They keep his commandments because they overcame the world, and they overcame the world because they are Christian believers born from above. Big old loop, big circle. A rich, profitable, profound circle, though. And I trust that it has... um, yeah, it really should be an encouragement because your status as an overcomer is done and finished and yet you're still working on overcoming. Already not yet tension, once again. We're described as overcomers and yet Christ tells us to overcome. So just an encouragement, I hope, to your heart um, on a what has the potential to be a rather dreary Monday in the course of the semester. So um, anyone interested in praying um, to close for this evening?
2: Brought together here, I pray, Lord, that as we go out for the rest of this week, you continually remind us and help us always to have our hearts set on you and the wonderful truth that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Help us to not waver from our faith, but be strong with the strength you give us. Help us to love others as you have loved us, and to love you above all. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.